This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. I have the fine pleasure of speaking on the doctrine of the resurrection. Um, But before we get into that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for for being with me in in study, God, uh, and in preparation. God, I love you. I want to serve you. I don't want to make you known. I ask that what is spoken tonight will, um, God, dig deep into the hearts of students, God, that their faith would be strengthened and that their faith being strengthened would result in an action that glorifies you on their part. Lord, let this all glorify you. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> okay, so you have your Bibles out already, which is great. Uh, I've spoken before about my dog. Uh, my dog, Pearl, is really wonderful. She's just the best, and she's super smart. But she's so, so, so smart that it gets her in trouble, and it's annoying. She it tends to open things, like doors, and then leave. So, like, if we're not at home, she'll just open the door and leave because she wants to be with us. Uh, and my dad doesn't work far. He, he goes to work sort of the same place every day. And, and it's not too far from now, so she knows where it is and will go there knowing that at the end of the day, he'll show back up there. And so she'll break out of the house while no one's home, go across, go down our street, across a highway, and then wait in the receptionist's office uh, at the utility place that he works until he comes home at the end of the day. Um, but there is nothing that could ever shake her hope and solid belief that he is coming home soon, and so she waits expectantly. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 14. 1 Corinthians 15. If ever you guys have questions about where I'm telling you to turn, just like shout, because I know it's annoying whenever you don't remember what the guy said about where to turn to. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 14. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Worthless, pointless. If Christ is not raised from the dead, we have nothing. Resurrection is crucial to the Christian faith because without it, we have no foundation and no hope whatsoever. Tonight, we'll talk about the fact that resurrection is our foundation as Christians and resurrection is our expectation as Christians. Jump into our first point, resurrection, our foundation. Our belief in the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Let that sink in. Think about the weight and the truth and the words that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the man himself, the literal resurrection, is the foundation 
of our faith. Nothing stands without a foundation. It's not a metaphor that it should be taken non-literally. It is true. It is serious. It is literal. Jesus died and rose, and it's the foundation of our faith. I repeat, if Jesus did not rise, if Jesus did not die and also come back to life 2,000 years ago, then we are idolaters, and our hope for eternity is a pitiful lie that we mistakenly believe. What we have here, this congregation, this unity in this body, is nothing. Our sins being forgiven, eternity with God, all washes away if we remove Christ's resurrecting. We must believe in the real bodily resurrection. So what are some popular lies about the the resurrection? Uh, Progressive Christians will say that the resurrection is a metaphor, that it shouldn't be taken literally. Instead, Jesus had uh, an enlightening experience, like being brought to life metaphorically, some sort of spiritual connection with God thing that went on, where it was like being brought to life. That is ridiculous. That is an insult to our Savior and a departure from belief in him. That is a slap in the face of our gracious God to say, no, you did not raise your son from the dead. No, you did not die for our sins and rise again. That's ridiculous. We cannot call ourselves Christians and believe like that. We must believe in the real bodily resurrection. If Christ did not literally raise, then we oppose the one true God and we have no hope for eternity. Jesus had to be who he said he was or else we have no cleansing from sin and we are idolaters praising a false savior. That's why we would be enemies of God and separated separated from eternal life with him. Jesus claimed to be God. Uh, Multiple times, I say multiple, hundreds of times probably throughout his life, ministry, he called himself the Son of Man. It was uh, about 70 times recorded in your New Testament, and the phrase Son of Man is very interesting. It, it refers to the Messiah from God, but not like the Israelites believed at the time, or the Jews believed at the time, that he would be the Messiah, not some military power, but something special. It was used by the prophets of the Old Testament Uh, when the Son of Man was seen in visions from God. He was like a man, like us, but somehow he dwelt with God, which was totally foreign up up until this point in these prophecies. No man could dwell with God. The Son of Man is the one that would crush the head of the serpent. This Messiah, who is the Son of God, this is God made flesh. For Jesus to call himself God made flesh is a very, very tall statement. Listen to Mark 9, 31. If you want to turn there, you can. It's Mark 9, 31. It's not too far. It's up there? No, it's not up there. I thought someone said it's up there. Mark 9, 31. You know, I'm having trouble finding it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. That is yet another 
extremely tall statement from our Lord. Jesus calls himself the Redeemer, the Son of Man, God made flesh, and then he says he will die and come back to life. Those are two statements. That's okay. Saying you're God and then is, is one thing. Anyone could say, look, I, I'm God, you know, but to say I'm God, I was prophesied of in the Old Testament, I'm going to die, three days later I'm going to live again. Well, now you've just put yourself in a corner because if you don't die and then come back to life in three days, you're not God. So you see the dilemma with people believing that Christ metaphorically died because that makes him not God. We know that God can't lie. If Jesus did not resurrect, then he is not God. If Jesus isn't God, then our religion is a lie. Our faith is a lie. Our salvation is a lie. And we should just go home. But we know that he did come back, that he is alive. And if you want to hear defenses for it, go listen to Dom's message uh, while we, the resurrection from Matthew, the Jesus is King sermon series. Go check it out. Great apologetics in that video. We're not going to climb that mountain tonight. But we as Christians, our faith, we know that Jesus did, in fact, live again. We're justified in holding to this faith of ours because Jesus is who he says he is. For those of us who have repented and who believe, we can trust that our sins are actually forgiven and that we are no longer accused by our God. We don't stand under condemnation anymore because Jesus stood in our place. And then he came back to life. Jesus proved himself to be God over and over again during his ministry through fulfilling prophecies about himself. And then the biggest one that he ever did was that he came back to life. Any prophet from the Old Testament did miracles. Jesus did miracles, but none of them came back to life after being crucified. He has defeated sin and death. As Christians, we must be unwavering in our belief that our Lord really was raised from the dead. When we get pressed by the world to give up that belief, we have got to be unwavering. They'll sell us this, they will tell us it's improbable that someone could not raise from the dead, but it's all our hope. The Corinthian church, uh, not long after Christ's resurrection and ascension, began to struggle with belief in the resurrection. So Paul wrote Corinthians 15. Uh, if you, I don't know if your Bibles are still at Corinthians 15, but you might want to put your thumb there because we'll probably camp out there a good bit. 1 Corinthians 15. Four, oh, look, I'm not there. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And then we'll jump to 17 through 19. So we'll, we'll skip over 15, 16. 15, verse 14. If Christ has not raised, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And if that is the case, 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished as well. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, this temporary time, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's communicating to the Corinthians here that if Christ is not risen, then they are still dead in their sins. Beyond that, anyone who placed their faith in Christ and, is not, and has died at this point, any of the martyrs, family members who were murdered because they believed in Christ, they're not in heaven. They have no hope after life at all. They're just gone. How insane to, to believe, how insane for the Corinthians to, to set their faith in Christ in his resurrection and then kind of start playing fast and loose with the resurrection and say maybe it didn't happen. To say that the resurrection didn't happen is to let go of all of your hope for life after death, for an eternity spent with our God. Truly, if any Christian does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then they have no hope and are utterly pathetic. Not pathetic as in like the rude, hey, you're pathetic, but like truly sad and pathetic, like a wet dog standing outside of the house shivering, like you have nothing. Christianity is a wonderful, hopeful, beautiful, truthful thing, but it all hinges upon a literally risen Christ. No metaphor is enough to stand in the place. He came back. He has to have had. Once the risen Christ is removed, it all crumbles. I'm sure you've played Jenga. Jenga's a really fun game, but there's always that one person who, you know, it's your turn and, and the stack has grown entirely too much. And there's this, that one piece and you know that, okay, that's your piece. That's the only one you can pull, but it's going down. And it's gonna go down fast. Take it out and boom, you're dead. You're gone. No more Jenga for you. Once you pull out the resurrection, down comes life after death, down comes uh, freedom from the wrath of God, down comes forgiveness for sins. Because everything, everything stands on the resurrection. What are we to do? We must remain rooted. We must root ourselves in what we believe, not out of blind ignorance, but through studying the word, through making it our own belief, truly, not just something that we've been told. But go and study it for yourself and believe that the resurrection is literal and that it happened. There's a pressure coming at us from all sides to, to compromise in our faith because it's not inclusive, inclusive enough for our culture. This world is going to try its very hardest to tell you that what you believe is crazy and hateful, but the truth is that what we believe is both well-founded and loving. We must remain, we must maintain integrity in our faith, no matter the situation or the suffering. Turn to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. It's easiest if you go to the back of the Bible and then work backwards through Jude and John, and then you get to Peter, right? Yeah. If you have the Elevate Bible, it's page 1237. Just saying. Get the Elevate Bible. 
First Peter 1, 3 through 7. Can somebody give me a thumbs up? Okay, oh, y'all are there. Whoa. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We who have repented and believe have been born again to an inheritance. We've been born again into this living hope, whereas the rest of the world still has no hope. We hope for the imperishable, this inheritance waiting for us in heaven. It's not a mansion. Some people are going to tell you it's a mansion. You're not, that's not what we're, we're not like, woohoo, let me die so I can go get a big house. No, and it's not money, it's not gold. While we wait here for the end, while we wait for the inheritance, we are protected by God's power through faith. The end game of all of this is that eventually we'll be saved at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, saved from judgment, saved from hell. We take great joy in this. Great joy in this. Great joy in this because this means that no matter the suffering we face, there is nothing that can shake our faith because of our hope. If our hope is rooted in heaven and not on earth, then what does earthly suffering, why does it matter? Why does, why does cancer matter? Why does ridicule matter? The early church had a very, very secure grasp on this concept that their hope wasn't here. They sang hymns joyfully praising God as, as they were burned to death. This faith meant something to them. This hope meant something to them. It's because they really stood on the resurrection of Jesus Christ as their foundation and believed wholeheartedly that what they were getting, that they were going to, was eternity. We're saved from judgment. We take great joy. In any situation, whether in school or at home, if you suffer for Christ or suffer at all, you don't have to be discouraged if you're in Christ. You can rejoice because you have a living hope through the resurrection. You can rejoice because you have living hope. The pains of things like loss in your family destruction of your town like we had last year, even major sicknesses don't have to shake you because for those of us who believe our hope is heavenly and living. We don't focus on this life as Christians. We're just obedient in it. To sum it up, we must believe in the resurrection of our Lord because it's crucial for salvation. 
We have hope and faith that are beyond this life and its struggles. These current struggles serve only to test the genuineness of our faith. These current struggles, these current pains, any suffering only strengthens us as Christians. It doesn't depress us. We as believers can endure all things, and this is only to our benefit. So embrace suffering. Embrace difficulty in this life because that's what, that's what Jesus did. Our Lord suffered. For three years, he suffered through his ministry, and then in the culmination of his ministry, he suffered on the death of the cross. Ridicule and ridicule and ridicule, and then torture and death. But he was focused on what he was doing it for. He had a purpose that was beyond the pain. That he wasn't, he wasn't rooted in this, this pain distracting him or stopping him. The resurrection. And we focus on the resurrection as well. Embrace difficulty in this life because your belief in Christ, it's provide you hope what is this imperishable inheritance that we hope for it means so much to us what is it this brings us to our second point resurrection is our expectation not just our foundation but also our expectation for the future it is what we look towards and is what we hope for 1 Thessalonians 4 14 through 18 let's go there that is Thessalonians. I forget the song. There's a song, you guys. We're gonna we're gonna start listening to the song. Thessalonians is before Timothy. It is after Colossians. I believe in you. First Thessalonians four. Fourteen through eighteen. Sweet. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, oh wait, sorry, rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It means those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed, will not go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Believers, both dead and still living, will rejoice. Will I sorry? Will join with the Lord together. We will be brought back to life. There is resurrection. John five twenty eight through twenty nine. That is the fourth gospel. John five twenty eight through twenty nine. Any thumbs? Look, there's a thumb. Woo! Okay. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 
both the sinful and the righteous will rise from the dead. Those whose faith was in God alone will resurrect into life. Those whose faith was in themselves, those who did evil will resurrect into an eternal damnation. It's clear that at some point all the dead will join in one instant to be judged. But what happens after all are judged? One group will be glorified with eternity, with, and will enter into eternity with the Lord and the other will face eternity and hatred towards God because that's what they wanted all their life. And there they will face the wrath of God. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. We're going all over the place tonight. Y'all know where Philippians is? Miss Pat taught me it's uh, Acts, Romans, the first and second Corinthians, and then you've got go eat popcorn. So it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So Acts, Romans, Corinthians, go eat popcorn. Wonderful tool. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Yes. 3, 20 through 21. But our citizenship, those of us who believe, is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, Jesus was the first to resurrect, and we are next. He will transform this body, your body, when he resurrects it. It'll be a body that can, that can stand in the glory of God. It'll last for eternity. It'll be nothing like what we've experienced before. This is what we look to. This is our eternal hope and what we have been destined for. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus, their allegiance to the one true God and all that he stands for, there will be citizenship waiting for us after death. He calls us his own because he's going to take us to be his own. We will be given glorified bodies. Bodies that can be with our Lord. And we will not perish even in the undiluted presence of the glory of Yahweh. I don't know if you knew this, but we, man, sinful man, cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. It, light cannot stand with darkness. If you flip on a light, where's darkness? It's just, it immediately vanishes. And that's what it would be like if we tried to be with a holy God. We, we'd just disappear. Uh, Exodus 33, uh, Moses uh, and all of Israel has come out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai where God, the literal God of the universe, has manifested his glory on the top of this mountain. God eternal is touching down on dirt and rock and it is burning this mountain. There is smoke and fire and a cloud and lightning flashing all over the place and he tells Moses to come up here. <laughs> and so Moses goes, and he spends 40 days up there. It was 40 days, right? I'm not wrong on that. It was 40 days. And at the end of this 40 days, Moses has this huge question. Lord, can I see your glory? 
says, can I look at you? And you don't understand how amazing it would be to look at God. And Moses didn't either. God says, no, I, man cannot look at me, you would perish. But he says, I'll let you see my back as I declare my name to you. It's okay. <laughs> and so he doesn't actually look at God's back. God passes by and he just gets to see the after effect of God passing by. And God says, Yahweh, gracious to whom I am gracious, merciful to whom I am merciful. How beautiful the way he announces himself. Think about the glory of God for a moment. How wonderful it is. How powerful and dangerous. We could never for a second hope to be in the glory of God. It's impossible. After our resurrection, though, we will be given bodies that are holy and glorified and can stand to be in contact with our glorious God for eternity. We're transformed so that we can be connected to God. Imagine like a rebellious puzzle piece. You've got this beautiful puzzle, and this one puzzle piece just decides it's not going to be the right shape. Like, what the heck? But God says, no, it's okay. I'm just going to change your shape. And so he's going to give us bodies that are glorified, He's going to make us holy, and for the rest of eternity, we can be with him. Old men who haven't been able to bow down out of pain will bend their knees without hesitation. Those who cannot walk will leap with joy, praising our God with legs that long continually to stand in worship. The mute will sing praises loud. The fickle heart will love without end. And for the very first time, and for the rest of eternity, we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. This time we'll go to the end of the chapter. 51 through 58. 1 Corinthians 15. 51 through 58. Oh, my pages aren't turning. There we go. Ready? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the immortal body, and the, immortal, the immortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We are heading from perishable to imperishable. We are rapidly approaching the end of a very short lifespan and we will be turned from mortal to immortal. Death will be swallowed up in victory and the sting of death defeated. And this is possible because our Savior conquered death when he rose. And it is only possible because our Savior conquered death when he rose. It's his resurrection that makes any of this possible. We will praise our God like never before because we will be face to face with his glory. A glory that we could have never hoped to be in contact with before. But it is our hope now. Our hope is not in this life, but our hope lies in eternal life. And that is why we can endure anything here. We can be steadfast and immovable in our faith and our belief in the resurrection because of that. We can abound in the work of the Lord and have no worries in this life. Why? Because we look to, the resurrec- to resurrection and to glorification to come with eager expectation. I don't fear death anymore. I don't think to the end of my short life anymore and think, man, what is it going to be like whenever I'm just not existing on this earth? That anxiety seizes us sometimes, but not anymore because my God and my Savior is waiting for me there, ready to change me and then take me in. I feel like as Christians, so little do we focus on the fact that that is our end game, that that's what we're actually here for. That we actually do have an ending coming that results in us praising God forever. And that we don't just love just because it's good, even though it is great. But we love because of what we're heading to. Because how could we not be obedient to a God who loves us and is waiting for us and is, and is going to make it so that we can be with him forever? Our foundation is on Christ who is risen. Our expectation is to one day rise with him and our response should be to live like him while we wait here. And while we wait, we must remain awake. Listen to the words of our Lord. Luke 12, 35 through 37. Luke 12, Luke 12. We're almost there. Boom. Good job. Man, you guys are great with the thumb thing. Luke 12, 35 through 37. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table 
and he will come and serve them. How beautiful. Christ will be pleased in returning to servants, in returning to us who are eagerly awaiting his return. And he will be pleased to see servants that are not asleep or complacent, that are instead awake and vigilant and doing his work for him. We must wait expectantly. When we wait like we're prepared for our master to return at any moment, we will not be lazy about our work that is laid out before us. If we expect our Lord's return with excitement in our hearts, we will be obedient and good servants. We've got to be waiting like a good dog, like my dog did when she was at the receptionist's desk, just knowing that my dad's going to come back. Wait for the Lord and don't be taken control of by the things of this world. This world will wear on us like exhaustion in the night. But we who wait expectantly will not fall asleep before our master returns. Servants who are faithful to staying awake and vigilant won't give in when their self-control is tested. When you're endlessly scrolling through TikTok for like the 50th time this day, and then you look over at your dusty Bible and you decide, you know what, I'm going to pick it up. That's being a faithful servant. That's changing from being the complacent servant who's about to fall asleep and deciding, no, Lord, I, I serve you. When you stand up for your faith in choosing not to support the wickedness running rampant in our country, and let's be honest, in our friend circles too, that is being a faithful servant. Good servants are clearly recognized from the bad ones. And if people cannot tell you, cannot tell that you are a Christian at first glance and you aren't living dressed for action, like it says in Luke, you aren't living dressed for service, you aren't living expecting the Savior's return, you're asleep. Let's be honest with ourselves. How often are you in public or are you in school or are you with your friends and it's, a, it's very, very hard for anyone to tell that you are actually set apart. Take a second. Think about it. When's the last time that you thought, Lord, I love that you resurrected. Lord, I'm excited for eternity. And you focused on what will come instead of what is. Are you expecting his return? Let's recap. Point one, resurrection is our foundation. We have nothing else. Once you remove resurrection, everything crumbles. As Christians, we must be unwavering in our belief that our Lord really was raised from the dead. And we must maintain integrity in our faith no matter the situation or the suffering. Two, resurrection is our expectation as Christians. It's what's coming for us at the end of our life. Resurrection is not only for our foundation, is not only our foundation for belief, but it is also our expectation for eternity. And after our resurrection, we will be given bodies that are holy and glorified and can stand to be in contact with our glorious God for eternity. This world will wear on us like exhaustion in the night. It will tempt us 
and it will tell us that we must change what we believe. But we who wait expectantly will not fall asleep before our master returns. Be good servants. I love you, Elevate. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can find you in it. God, that you're not hidden, but you're right here. Strengthen us, God, to be servants who seek you, who wait for you expectantly, God, who know you. Strengthen us in this world, God, that doesn't believe in your resurrection. Help us to pass on the truth to those who have no hope so that they can be rooted in a hope like ours. God, strengthen us to love and to do your work while we wait for you. We love you, Lord. We seek to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.